Yeah, I, I checked out a couple of them. Uh, that I like that last one you did, that really short one where you were comparing different firms for rock bands, which brought it down to my level of understanding. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to Chuck Yates Needs a Job, the podcast. As most of y'all that know me know, I'm a music guy, right? I mean, some people like to play golf, some people hunt, some people fish. My jam is I go out on the uh, road with musicians, and I'm a roadie. In fact, if I could tune a guitar, I could actually tour manage something. But So this is, like, fucking unbelievably cool. We have Pete Stahl on today, and I'm going to let him tell more of his background. But, man, lead singer of Scream, lead singer of Wool, lead singer of Earthlings, Goat Snake, just some amazing music through the years, and I'm sure we're going to talk about all that. But from Bailey's Crossroads, Virginia, Pete Stahl. Pete, welcome in, bud. How you doing, Chuck? Thanks for having me on. Dude, thanks for uh, coming on. So... Are you going to tell the story of how we met, or you want me to? No, go ahead. I'll just fill in fill in the blank. So, yeah, okay. So, I'm just going to name drop it and say it. So, Jewel calls, and she's out in Los Angeles uh, writing songs, and my audience knows Jewel and I are really good friends. And she calls and says, hey, Dave Grohl just called, and they're doing a show in a parking lot. You want to come? You want to come to the show? We'll check it out, and we'll we'll go say hi to the band. And you know the answer to that is always yes. So uh, anyway, we go. Me and Jewel sneak backstage. And do you, do you recall what that show was for? It it was a free show, I think. And what what's Taylor's cover band called? Um, the Coat Riders. Yeah, they were opening up, and uh, yeah, they they're awesome. And Roger Taylor was there. And he played drums on um, on Under Pressure, I think, with mm-hmm, those guys. Yeah, yeah, Taylor loves to sing that song. He always does a killer job. The uh, So, yeah, so I think they just played a parking lot because, I mean, I'm sure it was promoting an album. What was that, three or four years ago? I, yeah, I can't remember why they were in the parking lot. I, maybe it was the release of a new record, and it was a secret show that, you know, they just management just uh, controlled really well, and um, it was in the afternoon. I remember it was hot. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. <laughs> I remember that, and so I don't. You and I bumped together backstage, and I don't remember what mm-hmm. we kind of first started talking about, but it immediately went to the heated rivalry between. What's your football team even called these days? Washington Football Club <laughs> said that with said that with pride and and uh, being a Dallas Cowboy fan. So we we sat there and you know what was so kind of funny and bizarre about that is we're sitting backstage of the Foo Fighters. We've got you know various dignitaries it, in there. Yeah, and you know Roger Taylor of Queen, Dave Grohl, all these folks, and you and I are over in the corner, like pointing at each other, going, "Oh man, Redskins suck! Now the Cowboys suck!" And uh, going back and forth. Jules like, Jules was like, "Hey, hey boys, can y'all come enjoy this moment just a second?" So, 
I don't did I you know I, I we actually actually played the Palladium a bunch one time we opened up a show playing Hail to the Redskins at the Palladium inside of course not out in the parking lot but we were opening up for Fugazi and I remember that nobody really knew what the hell we were doing but it was like they had won the Super Bowl that day or it was that one of the last times we made it there but we actually played Hail to the Redskins at the Palladium. Oh, did you? In front, in front of a Fugazi audience. It was kind of fun. So normally I would say <laughs> that's horrible, it's obnoxious, but actually that's really cool. I'll give you your props on that. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, you should. I mean, if it wasn't for that song, there wouldn't be any Dallas Cowboys. Oh, now, now, now. Those are fighting words, but go ahead. Well, you know the whole story, don't you? No, lay it on me. Oh man, it goes way back. I mean, yeah, my whole life is tied up with with sports and that football team from when I was a little kid. But yeah, I mean, you know, George Preston Marshall, who, uh, you know, basically started that club. They were called the Boston Braves. He had bought the Boston Braves back in the '30s, I think, which is how the whole thing with the. Uh, with the Redskins kind of came about. They were called the Boston Braves, and then they moved into Fenway Stadium, which is why they ended up changing the name to the Redskins because the Red Sox played there. Um, but um, when they finally ended up in D.C., it was like in the, I think, the 50s. And, you know, he kind of invented halftime. He got a band going, and he had so, and they wrote this song because he realized that football is really entertainment and so they wrote the song hail the redskins and it became you know it's like one of the oldest fight songs i think maybe in pro leagues for sure um probably not for, for college but um so this time uh, you know there was no teams in the south and george Preston marshall was a really smart guy and a businessman and he started you know he bought he, he created a whole television network and so the Redskins were on all the stations in the South, basically. And um, which is why, every, you know, before there was Atlanta Falcons, why everyone in North Carolina is a Redskins fan. And it's why the Redskins were so popular all through the South. So when it came time for uh, the league to expand, what was that guy's name? The original Clint Merchinson or yeah, something Yeah, Clint like Merchinson, oil and gas I guy. Think he, yeah. I think he owned... He wanted to he wanted to form a team in Texas. And but but you know, Marshall didn't want any he didn't want to expand the league because he ruled the whole South. He didn't want another league another team there. And then somehow Merchinson, if I'm probably not butchering his name, but he um, the guy that wrote the song Hell of the Redskins was was not had fallen out with George Preston Marshall. Murchison bought the song from him, and then he told George Preston Marshall that they couldn't use the song anymore. <laughs> and he, this is where the rivalry starts, and so <laughs> so then uh, he used that leverage to get uh, Marshall to sign off on the team expanding and having a team in Dallas. So there you go. No, that's awesome. I've never heard that story. And I've been a diehard cowboy fan my whole life, you know? Yes. And and thus oh, yeah. we're the cowboys because you're the Redskins. 
So basically, it was really a fun story, but I, you know, that's the Cowboys came from the, you know, them holding that song over him. So, oh, that's really, really cool. I had never heard that, uh, that story before. <laughs> Got, I, I'm glad. So you're welcome. I'm glad Clint gave you the song back because it's annoying as shit. But <laughs> <laughs> so here's kind of the song, the song, the song's kind of interesting if you. The lyrics changed over the course of different years, and it 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 has. I'm 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 I don't even think they play it anymore. And I'm just, I'm kind of I'm 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 happy to be done with the name Redskins and happy to be done with that fight song. So we meet backstage. We're talking Cowboys uh, and uh, the football team stuff uh, stuff backstage, and then literally, I mean, almost probably the most rock and roll moment of my life is what we do afterwards. Do you remember that? Yeah, I think we ended up at the uh, Rainbow. We did. Yeah, this is like this is pre-COVID. It's a couple <laughs> years ago. No, it was it was really cool because I mean you know the rain the Rainbow Bar and Grill obviously is just iconic. You know, DiMaggio and Marilyn Monroe had their blind date there where they met. Belushi had his last meal there, and you know it's always been kind of the rock and roll hangout. I think wasn't Lim- right. wasn't Lemmy in there like every day that they weren't on tour. You know, it seemed like. I mean, he's he's still there, but it's a statue now. <laughs> oh, that's but, cool. <laughs> yeah, they got like a a bust in there of him. Um, yeah, it, it would always be cool. You'd find him in there for sure. He was there. He was a regular. And yeah, so every time I tell that story, it's always like you know. Dave Grohl and I were at dinner at uh, the Rainbow Bar and Grill on Sunset. Oh, that's so cool. I'd never have the heart to tell him. Well, I was actually three tables away. <laughs> from... <laughs> but dang it, I was the, there. <laughs> the, the Rainbow is classic. If anyone that comes to Los Angeles, it, thankfully it survived thus far because they have good food. And I think they've been getting by with their uh, to-go meals. And I always get the chicken soup is great. Um, they have good food there. So it's, oh, oh, and it hasn't changed at all ever since I first ended up in LA in the early 90s. It's exactly the same with some of the same, the gentlemen that own that place and that family, they greet you at the door, some of them still, depending on what night you go in there. And um, yeah, you never know. I mean, who, who you might run into there. The, I've been in there. My, I've been in there twice. So the, what, what's your what's your best rainbow story? So I've been in there twice. So obviously having dinner with you, having dinner, you know, with Dave Grohl and kind of that whole mm-hmm. entourage. Um, do you remember that? Do you remember there was? A, I think that that woman Candace was there with us. Was she Dimebag Daryl's widow? You know, the Pantera guitarist, because she was with us that night. No, nope, not her. Um, I know who you're, who you're talking about. But who was Candace? She runs a studio, a really famous studio called it's called East West now. She and she, I remember she was there hanging out. I remember uh, Susan Diner was there. Who's, who she's a just had just started doing magic at the Magic Castle. There was there was there was a cool crowd there and, for sure. And uh, I think Taylor showed up for a while. Was there? Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, there was a because sitting next to me at dinner was uh, Lindsay Phoenix, who was a contestant on 
not Survivor, but one of the Survivor-like shows. So it really kind of was the the Hollywood rock and roll moment for me. The uh, it it definitely was peak rainbow for me because the only other time I've been there, I uh, actually uh, bummed a dollar off of Frank Stallone. <laughs> and it, and it was, how did that come out well it was more just you know you you need to go say hello to frank stallone right when you get a chance to 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 see him and i didn't know what to say so i just kind of walked up and said hey man i'm a big fan but can i borrow a dollar <laughs> just to see what he would do and to his credit he's like hey man here you go thanks and so I, it was just one of the bizarre things to say so that you could kind of have a story instead of just the cliche oh i'm such a big fan you know and uh, mm-hmm. and all that so but now you gotta lay your rainbow story on me man my rain my highest rainbow moment and i've had quite a few oh yeah lay best, it on me best one uh which i'll never forget is I was sitting in one of those booths. We, we we were sitting along the wall, like when you come in the rainbow, and, we, and you come in right to the left. Is there, there's a bunch of booths along the wall, and then there's a bunch of booths in the center, and then there's booths on the other side. Um, and I was in one of the big booths in the middle with my sister and a bunch of friends and my brother. And my sister at the time was she was mud wrestling at the at the Tropicana. So there was we were with a bunch of girls from that from the Tropicana which was at, d- down on the other other end of town I don't know if you ever heard of that place it's kind of oh, famous it's, it's totally, not around anymore it's in the Motley Crue it's in Motley Crue's girls 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 isn't it there you yeah. go yeah it, it it probably is and we were just partying and having a good time and all and I was just sitting there I guess and I had my back to the booth behind me and all of a sudden this this like uh american express card landed in my lap it like came over my head it landed on my la- and i picked it up and i, I and it was john Entwistles. and i turned around no and he was there and yeah and he was he was looking at me and i was like oh he like flew out of his hand i don't know what the fuck he was doing and so i just handed it back to him he was like and he looks at me he goes you could have bought a rose voice with that mate <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome that's- yeah that, that, I'll never fucking forget that John Ant Whistle. That is no, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty cool. The uh, and then you know I got to, I got to meet Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend through through Dave actually later on. That was just that was way before the Foo Fighters and that was, um, but um, later on I got to meet Roger Daltrey because he brought his daughter to one of Dave's shows. He was a really nice guy. You know, what I've kind of always said, because I've hung out with, and I use that term loosely, not like we're buddies and all, but, you know, I've been backstage uh-huh. a couple of times for the Foo Fighters with Dave, and I've mm-hmm. always told people, um, you know, kind of what you see is what you get. I mean, that he really seems down to earth, and, you know, unless he's pretending, you know, he really just kind of is the guy you hear in, in interviews and all that. And my story with him was um, we were in – I was on tour with Jewel. She was doing a book tour, and we were in San Diego, and the Foo Fighters were playing that night. And I kind of went, hey, Jewel, buddy, old pal, I've seen the book tour show a few times. I'm just going to go to the Foo Fighters. And uh, 
she's like, yeah, yeah, knock yourself out, go have fun. And uh, anyway, I'm like, and, and she doesn't use her celebrity status for stuff. And I was kind of like, mm-hmm. you really got to use your celebrity status to go meet Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters, right? You know, you need to. And she's like, well, I'm not sure. So I just, I'm friends with Butch Vig. So I call Butch and I'm like, hey, Butch, here in San Diego, you know, I'm with Jewel. Can you get her back to go meet Dave? No big deal if you can't, but could you? And Butch is like, yeah. And so he texts. And then Jewel, the DJ that broke her, because she was homeless in San Diego when she rose to, to prominence, and the DJ that broke her, I forget what his name is. He, not, not an easy town to be homeless in. <laughs> yeah, no, her, uh, her joke about that is, I was living in my car and it got stolen. Fortunately, I wasn't in it at the time, but... Uh, <laughs> So, so that DJ was actually actually knew Dave and was going backstage, and so she was um, she was uh, going you know backstage with uh, with him, and so it was kind of hitting on um, from multiple sides, and she wound up going backstage. I got drunk, passed out in the car, <laughs> so I was I was not part of the backstage entourage. But she went backstage. They met, and then the next night. Since everybody was going to uh, Phoenix, the Foo Fighters were playing, the book tour was in Phoenix the next night, he actually called her on stage and they sang A Whole Lot of Love by Led Zeppelin. Brad! <laughs> she was grateful that, that I kind of made it happen because she's like, left to my own devices, I wouldn't have done it, you know, and I'm like, well, glad you did. And because, <laughs> so they come out to the car and open the door and I literally pour out onto the street because I because I met up with a buddy and we just had way too much vodka. So I pour out on the street and uh, she looks at the DJ and goes, yes, this is my friend Chuck. <laughs> but so <laughs> so because of that, uh, when when Dave, the Foo Fighters played Nashville, she said, look, come out and I'll introduce you to Dave after the show, probably for 30 minutes, where it's literally the band, me and Jewel and then Jewel's boyfriend. Um, and we're back there and Dave was so cool. Talked to him and all that. And after about 30 minutes, he goes, well, we got to let everybody else in. And I said, Dave. I've tried not to be fanboy tonight, but I just have to do it. Can we take the selfie? And Dave looked mm-hmm. at me and he said, Chuck, I knew you had it in you. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. But now walk me through your career. I mean, you know, oh, how do you man. get into music? Tell me about Scream. I've been listening to all your songs for about the last 48 hours. And so... Probably at some point I'm going to make you uh, pick a favorite band you're in, and I'll I'll tell you which one's mine. But uh, okay, talk talk me through how you get into music. Scream, tell me uh, ah. tell me punk rock stories. Well, I mean it starts way before that. I mean it kind of a typical beginning, you know, listening to my folks' records, um, um, and then seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan show. Ed Sullivan show. And then my dad becoming a, a manager of rock bands in D.C. in the 60s, and they started taking us to shows. So, I mean, we were, I was going to, to nightclubs to see bands when I was 10 years old. So, I, you know, got into music. You know, and, that's really um, cool your, your dad did that because my son, who's 18 now, and he's in a band, and, you know, he's going to go try to try to make it. 
my ex-wife and I decided, because he was always a music kid, we decided, okay, he can be, you know, stay out late to go see a show so long as one of us takes him and all. And, mm-hmm. and you know, well, I... That's t- cool. You, that's cool. You support. You support him like that. That's awesome. Well, when he was 10 years old, he and I went to New Orleans and we sat on the front row for Van Halen. And um, oh, man. He, he had no idea who Van Halen was. He just knew he was missing school the next day because he was going to New Orleans with dad. And about five minutes into the show, he kind of yanks on my shirt and looks at me and says, hey, dad, that guitar player is really cool. <laughs> and I was like, that's right. our hair, pal. So it's cool your parents did that because – and it's cool – to see that it led to you having this career, because I kind of think I've emulated that with my son. Oh, cool. Um, well, it, it definitely put me in, you know, immersed me in music and, you know, fell in love with, you know, that and, and also hanging around bands and stuff and thought they were coolest people on the planet you know motorcycles and guitars and chicks right. basically and, and playing shows and um, so the, it did, the one thing that did kind of mess me up is that, you know, I didn't really pick up an instrument and that by the time I was like, I was just going to you know, 13 or 14, I was like way into like jazz fusion and shit like that. So I didn't, I all of a sudden got like, I, you know, I never didn't occur to me to like to create music. I was just, you know sitting in the basement getting stoned and listening to music right. Hendrix and Larry Coryell my vision and all that stuff and and then uh I did pick up the guitar like when I was around 16 you know started trying to learn some Neil Young songs and things like that and some country and bluegrass and, and but it wasn't until uh and I taught my brother how to play that's really important because then my brother took took you know the basic stuff I showed him and and became a guitar player and then um him and uh, skeeter thompson started playing together and then they asked me to sing for them and this was like kind of about when new wave and i was going to clubs in dc checking out a lot of roots bands and and jazz bands um dc is a funny town but it's a real big rockabilly and roots blues you know the nighthawks tex rabinowitz and it it has a real uh history of being a, a kind of r&b town in a way and rock and roll town um garage too like my dad's band was a garage band basically but um then what but when i saw some new wave bands and saw some punk bands i started that energy was like i can do that you know and then when my brother and skeeter asked me to to uh to sing i just like i didn't know how to but i and i could write a basic you know three chord song and then we started playing you know backyard keg parties and basement parties and you know started out learning a bunch of punk covers and and 60s covers and 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 playing those and then we kind of used that as a jumping um off point to write our own songs and then we started playing around you know small you know new wave and punk clubs in the dc area and and then we uh, took it on the road so and then i was on my way was there was there a seminal moment with punk with you where you like, I don't know, saw the Sex Pistols play or just something, an aha moment, or was it this? Yeah, for sure. It would be the Bad Brains, which is a band from D.C. Um, 
And I saw them play in a, in a small little art gallery, like in a row house in Northwest Washington called Madams, Oregon. And it just blew my mind. And, um, and, uh, sent me on this path for sure. Just the whole vibe, um, the energy. So that's, yeah, that's really, that's really cool. So you're, so. Because I didn't see, I never saw the sex clips, but I did see the clash and I was disappointed because I saw him at Richie Coliseum, which is where University of Maryland is. And they sounded like shit. I mean, it, it was, I was, you know, big fan, but they didn't blow me away when I saw him play. And I didn't see the sex pistols. One band that did from that era though, that I saw, I was lucky enough to see would be the cramps who were, amazing and stranglers those two bands i saw a couple times come through town it just really blew me away see i think this is this is kind of the the slight age difference between us because i was probably about five years behind you in terms of you know Mm -hmm. so my first concert was journey with brian adams opening up so i'm kind of you know you're you're talking sort of late 70s getting to see all those guys my first concerts kind of think, you know, mid eighties. And so, right. Yeah. So, so I missed all those guys and I, I still kick myself that I didn't go see the sex pistols. What is, I think they did a reunion tour in 97 and, uh, I wound up not, not going to see it, but I really should have cause that music was great. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, it was those bands that really got me and my brother and us to like create our own, own music and then um you know started to want to write and sing about uh you know what's going on around us and 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 you know our lives so that's what that's what punk rock is so y'all so y'all are scream you put out two or three albums and then when does dave grohl join you that's um kind of uh about a few albums into uh, uh into uh screams um existence like uh, our first drummer who we still play with now because um he left he didn't want to go on tour anymore um because he's having his first kid and so we had to uh we were we were constantly touring constantly on the road and we going back and forth between europe and the states and all over the states and often canada and that was kind of the circuit we kind of would put out a record and get on the road and, and make that do that round, you know, round from country to country and town to town. And, um, our bass player Skeeter told me about this drummer that he'd seen playing in Dane Bramage. Um, his band went and saw them play and, um, you know, everyone in the whole crowd was just watching the drummer. It was a really cool band, the three piece. Uh, but all eyes were on him and, you know, he's just amazing to watch. And so asked him if he'd join up with us and he knew all our songs when he came over to rehearse with us and was just, you know, like he wanted to get out of town. Was, and so he uh, took that opportunity to join up with us. And then we, you know, we, we did a few records together and traveled the world together. It's good music. And um, I mean, was it something you could tell in terms of, I mean, all eyes were on him and stuff, and you just kind of sure. knew this this guy's destined for greatness, no question. Well, didn't uh, not not that, not that big picture. Just knew that guy was killer, and it would be amazing to play with him. And it, you know, our 
our other drummer, Kent, is an amazing drummer too. It's a completely different style. Clay's completely different than Dave. Dave can't really play like Kent. Kent can't play like Dave. Uh, and he, you know, it kind of gave us a lot of energy, a lot of momentum when he, when he joined the band. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't, didn't, you know, obviously didn't know what would end up happening and I didn't see that far down the road, but yeah, he definitely could tell he had something special for sure. Cause it's, and I have the benefit of hindsight, right? Cause, um, you know, I was down in Houston, and I'd never heard your music until we till we met that night, and that's when I started listening. So I may mm-hmm. I may just be talking myself into this with hindsight, but I swear when I kind of listen to Fumble, that mm-hmm. I that I hear smells like Teen Spirit. You know, it just mm-hmm. it just seems like you know Dave is trying to beat the shit out of those drums. You know. And mm-hmm. uh, and at least I can uh, I can hear it in there. So it's well, probably because I mean he always beat the shit out of the drums. I mean you should g- Google uh, some of him playing. And he had a band before the Scream um, and before Dame Bram. It's called Mission Impossible. And there's some good footage of him playing like in the Vienna Community co- Community Center and stuff. And you'll see him early on. I mean he was tearing it up. Um, but by the time we got to doing Fumble, we'd already done No More Censorship. Uh, that's that's the closest record. That's the record before he joined Nirvana. Um, so it would be closest to to his, you know, the developing style that he was, his, his thing, you know. And it's probably just more evident because it was the closest in that in that journey. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's funny, though. You listen to God's look. But also, I, sorry to interrupt oh, you. Go but, ahead. One one thing that I, I, and I, um, people should know is you know he's, he's really prolific and he's definitely you know he's writing a lot of stuff on his own and he was kind of messing around on doing his own stuff on the side too and if you've ever listened to um, that there's the name he had a little project called Late that he did with Barrett Jones that. This is while he's still on Scream. And if you listen to some of that stuff, if you can find it, you'll hear a lot of similarities. Uh, some, you know, it's, it's melodies. And you, you, you'll hear, like, how perfect of a, you know, match he was with Nirvana because you can kind of hear some some similar kind of things going on. So, um, and then when he joined that band, just as when he joined Scream, he took them to another level, too. So... It's that bad because he's got he's got something special for sure. So what happens? I'll say it, I'll say it again. So what happens when uh, you're sitting there recording and he walks in and says, "All right, I want to sing God's Look Down." <laughs> well, that's that's a good example of of what uh, what I'm talking about because he was that was at that point where he was writing and doing stuff on his own, and I we were all kind of wanted to incorporate that more into our stuff. So that's fumble is um was a record that we did and we and it wasn't completed till after till actually a couple of years later because that's the tw- we recorded that record and see th- that's why my vocal i think he does the first half of the song i do the second half of the song because we didn't finish it because we were we were writing the record we were recording the record and we went on tour just like we always do but then then when we got to california everything went south and then dave ended up joining nirvana and me and my brother stayed in l.a and so didn't get back to finish that record till I was able to get home. 
And so, um, and we didn't have any money. So we stayed in LA till we got on our feet then went back home, finished that record, finished the vocals on it. Cause, and, uh, added those vocals to God's look down. And then, we, then discord put that record out. So there you go. So is it, is it public knowledge? Has it been discussed? What was the big breakup? Oh, well, you know, we, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's kind of public knowledge and done a ton of interviews and probably talked about in other things they've done. But, it, you know, we've been uh, going through our, our, our bass player was having some family problems at home and also some other issues. And, and this we'd kind of gone back and forth. He'd left the band a couple of times and he's an integral part of the band. We'd had some replacements, but, you know, the core group is me and my brother, Skeeter, Dave and Kent. And um, we were playing a show. We, we, we were playing this show and um, I saw Skeet hanging out with someone. I knew that they were going to get in trouble that night. And then we didn't, <laughs> we didn't see Skeeter again. <laughs> and uh, so he went back home to deal with some issues at home. And then so we there was a moment there. Where, like I was saying, my sister was was working at the Tropicana, and we were camped out on her floor in uh, Laurel Canyon, um, and uh, we, um, Dave's mom was sending Dave money so he could eat. We didn't have anything, and we were just we started trying to find a bass player, and um, we had just come down from the north, like we played Seattle. And we played, uh, I think we even played Olympia. And we played San Francisco. I remember uh, Chris and Kurt came to that show. And because they were Scream fans from before anyway, from what I understand. And, and uh, in fact, I first met Kurt when I when he was like 15. And oh, he no was roadieing for, yeah. And that, that's what he told me. I, I didn't, He said he came up to me after a show. He was roadieing for and he came up to me and you know hey man like your band that kind of thing but when i you got when i got to know him and meet him he told me that he met me when he was like a kid so uh, i think he was writing for the melvins at the time but um yeah so they'd come to that show and um at the time nirvana was playing with they didn't have a steady drummer and and once again the melvins are tied to this they i think dale was playing filling in Dale Prover, drummer for the Melvins, the great drummer for the Melvins, uh, was playing for them. Playing, they were playing shows, but they needed a, a steady drummer. They needed it. And so they um, called Dave up and asked him to come up, if he'd come up and play some shows. And he went up there to play some shows. And then he called down and says, I'm going to join this band. And, you know, we said, you, you probably should. This is fucked. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, the rest is history. That's that's wild. So, like I was saying earlier, I'm friends with uh, with Butch Vig, and um, the way we be- yeah. the way we became friends is I've just always been a huge Butch Vig fan because all the music that I really love he produced, right? I mean, ar- mm-hmm. arguably alternative rock's greatest producer, right? And so I always loved his music, and he's a big he's wi- up there, and he's a big wine guy, you know. And he just always seems like such a good guy in the interviews. And so for a charity thing, 
Butch Vig would go into the recording studio with you and record your song to the high bidder. So I was sitting in Houston, Texas, and I bought this thing on eBay. And like five days later, Butch Vig calls, hey, you, you won this thing. What song are we going to record? And I was like, Butch, I don't, I don't play an instrument. And he's like, uh, okay. And I go, I don't sing. I don't do any of this. And he was like, is, it, is this before you met him or is this how you met him? This is how I met him. And I, and, and he goes, well, then why did you buy me record, you know, producing your song? And I go, I just want to hang out and drink wine. And uh, he goes, all right, fair enough. So I had some buddies that were in a band. They actually finished second on Star Search years ago. And I said, all right, guys, y'all can get back together. And y'all are going to record a song that Butch Vig is going to produce. And I want to see this. But if it gets in the way of drinking wine, we shut down the music because we're drinking wine with Butch Vig. So we show up. <laughs> and so is, is this now what record? Is this after he'd done Nevermind and the Smashing Pumpkins? Yeah, and all that? yeah. This, okay, is, okay. this is call it nine years ago. I think Butch and I have been friends nine years. So, Did he, and he, so he had garbage going. He had garbage going. Yep. Um, and, uh, so anyway, uh, and we go to that, we go to the, the recording studio. I forget what the name of it is, but it's got the board that, uh, Martin used to use to record the Beatles back. Um, and well, I, that's the, that's the story that every studio, oh, every, every like studio that. has that story. Well, it's either, it's either, well, that's the studio, that's the board that the Beatles had, or that's what. Queen did Bohemian Rhapsody on, or you know, oh, that's perfect. But no, but it, you know, it's there's it's, it's probably if it was in L.A., it was probably true. It, and uh, yeah, far, was it in L.A.? As far as you know, Texas boy, yeah. Uh, but um, <laughs> so so we went in, we had the best time. So, speaking of studios, though, there is a studio in Houston that I want to go to, and that's Sugar Hill Studios. I haven't. That's one I've missed. I don't know if you know that oh, studio. Yeah, no, absolutely. The uh, have you been there? I've never been there, but like, let's get you to Houston and let's go, let's go tour that because that has got a lot of history uh, there. You know, the I mean, I think the Ghetto Boys did a lot of stuff there because Houston for a while was the third coast when it came to rap. I mean, I think now. Atlanta's really taken that over, but yeah, there's there's been a lot of stuff at Sugar Hill done. Yeah, I've always um, there's also a lot of old rock and roll done there though for sure. Yeah, because you had, I mean, I just I pulled it up and uh, you know you had Lightning Hopkins record there, the Big Bopper, right. George Jones, yeah. uh, Roy Head, Freddie Fender, the Sir Douglas Quartet. I mean. That that's old school Texas uh, Texas rock, no question. Definitely, and um, yeah, and I met a guy like, one of the last times I was in Houston that that said he owned it. Owned it. His name was Bubba. <laughs> <laughs> he gave me gave me his card. But speaking of Texas studios, just to segue into another I, one of my favorite ones that I've been to like three times now. It's off the beaten path, but. It's, I hope it's still there. It's called it's it's Norman Petty's recording studio in Clovis. I don't know if you I don't know. It, that. It was like it's it's where Buddy Holly recorded all his stuff or his early stuff. What and, city is it in? Right. 
It's actually in, I think it's actually in New Mexico, but right there on the border. I think it's in Clovis, New Mexico. Okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah, but it's famous for, for, it's really close to Texas, so a lot of Texas music, like Roy Orbison went up there and recorded before he got famous, and so did Buddy Howe. Yeah, the, uh, that's kind of a Texas rite of passage. You drive to Lubbock. And you go see Buddy Holly's grave, and then you go see the Wayland Jennings Museum that's in a liquor store that's run by his brother. You know? Okay, it's, that's cool. I've never done that. Yeah. That. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's, uh, and you know, we've got a lot of great kind of music history in Austin, really, because I mean, basically, Willie Nelson was sitting there in, uh, in Nashville and said, fuck it, grew his hair long and moved back to Austin and kind of created a lineage of country music, outlaw country music, if you will, that really mm-hmm. is separate and apart from from Nashville. You know, we us Texans sit around and say, that goddamn son of a bitch, Chet Atkins, took the slide guitar out of country music, made it a bunch of pop shit, you know, so... <laughs> Yeah, no, it's uh, we've got we've got some great stuff here in Texas. The uh, do this real quick. So we we talked about Scream. Um, talk some about Wool, Earthlings, and Goat Snake. And I oh, will, wow. I will I will okay. tell you which is my favorite because I've been listening to all this music for you know, like I said, you know, one since we met, but really heavy duty the last forty eight hours. Well, thank you. Um... Yeah, I mean, Wool came out of Scream, and and um, I mean, it's all kind of tied together, and it it it, it it's in some ways, um, it's all tied to Scream too. And you know, I don't um, have a favorite. I think you're going to ask me that, but um, you know, because my my brother is my main you know songwriting partner, and still is to this day. Um, so we formed Wool. Uh, you know pretty quickly to to, you know get going after we you know figured out LA a little bit and um and uh it opened up a whole new you know kind of chapter for us in life and you know deciding to stay in LA we don't you know always been in DC area and and um met a whole new you know group of people that became you know family and friends you know and um is it, am I uh, reading this right? Am I listening to this right? It feels I mean, it, like it, it, you got a little poppier with wool. I mean, and I'm, I use that as a term relative. It's obviously punk rock, but mm-hmm. it just feels a little more melodic, more more kind of poppier than maybe Scream did. Or it, yeah, that's that, that's. I mean, it, it. You know, we're just evolving, and and you know, just I think that's it, it. Obviously, some different players. Um, but and and our bass player Al Block kind of came definitely added a more of a pop sensibility to the band in a way. I mean, he was um, if you ever listen to his solo stuff, which I you know you can find on Bandcamp, and I highly recommend it. He's great uh, guitar player and singer too. And um, so yes, a different combination of people kind of make make different slightly different sound. You know, obviously now I'm like into singing for like 10, 15 years with wool. And so my vocal style is kind of, you know, growing and changing. And um, so, yeah, I could see that, that, I mean, definitely with, with scream, we had a pop side to us as well with songs like bet you never thought. And, um, 
this side up. It's just a different, different, you know, maybe different slower pace with wool. Uh, the, the tempo is down, slowed down a little bit, <laughs> which allows, which is allows for more singing. Well, the, uh, with the earthlings, I'm not sure I smoked enough dope to listen to them, but it's cool. Whoa, wait, wait, wait till you hear the next stuff we put out. We just, we got, uh, a lot. I mean, if there's the only one of the only good things about this pandemic is uh, your Texas uh, Joe Eli calls it <laughs> um, um, is is been able to have the time and not be on the road and to actually write songs. And so we we um, we had like one recording session in this past year out, out in Joshua Tree, which is where the Earthlings are based out of. And we did one in December before everything went shit crazy. Um, and so we had a, a lot of basic tracks and then we had this other session. So we've recorded a couple albums worth of stuff, but some of it's pretty out there. Um, but yeah, that, that is the Earthlings. It's yeah, it's really psychedelic type Earthlings stuff. With the, Earth, Earthlings with a question mark. And um, I was just lucky to fall into that out of wool um, because wool went out. Um, oh, like, as, as I said, you know, met a whole new group of people that brought me out to the studio in Joshua Tree called Rancho de la Luna. And uh, the owner, the, the people that ran it was Fred Drake and Dave Ketchens and became friends with them and started recording there. And then we started collaborating and making music together, which which ended up being the Earthlings. And it was kind of through that whole scene that I got to meet, you know, we, we like if you want to find one transition point would be there's a single out there, seven inch it's wool with Caius. It's a split seven inch and, and did a tour with wool around that time. Well, we did a tour with Caius, which is how I met Josh Homme and, and Nick Oliveri and Alfredo and, and um, it was wool Caius and the obsessed and the Obsessed is a, is a band that kind of turned into Goat Snake. And the Obsessed were from D.C. So that's why I'm just, without really clarifying anything, I'm just showing you how everything's just tied together. So then, uh, you know, Caius turned into Queens of the Stone Age, and um, who I toured with and sang with them. I don't know if you knew that. I sing a little bit on Rated R. But, um, you know, it's just one big family. And... Uh, Scream, you know, Scream ended up out here, opened the door that I went through with my brother and, you know, started a whole new, you know, chapter in life. And, uh, you know, the transition there, and I'll go ahead and just fess up to it. You know, if you described each one of these four different bands to me, just what they were going to sound like. I would have said, like, not hearing any of their, of their music, I would have said, you know, Scream's going to be my favorite, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But weird enough, listening to all of them, and I like Scream, I like Wool, I like Earthlings, I really like Goat Snake. I mean, mm-hmm. it... So, there's a story I was telling earlier about, you know, Butch Vig and, and meeting him. You know, oh, yeah, you didn't finish. The- oh, <laughs> didn't but finish. but no, we're going to come back to it. it it's actually okay. so. Uh, so, you know, I first meet Butch and we're sitting there drinking wine. And over lunch, I'm like, I'm like, hey, man, 
did you know when you were like recording Smells Like Teen Spirit, that was going to change the whole world? And he goes, nah, I just kind of thought it was a kick-ass song, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and kind of kind of deadpan along. And I've, I think Kurt Cobain's quote about it was, well, I think we just made a pretty good Black Sabbath album, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of the 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 I, I was i was there when they recorded that record i was in the studio with them the smart studios no the uh the smells like teen spirit was done at sound city i was there oh okay yeah and so they, they recorded they might have they, they might have done some stuff uh at smart but they um they definitely retracted the drums at sound city in the big room and then i remember you know watching kurt sing few songs in the in the smaller room um there's only uh i think there's only two rooms there yeah the big room and the small room yeah they i think they had split it they had had some original takes they did mm-hmm. in smart and then they re-recorded some stuff in la and then i think they mixed it at uh smart but yeah it was and um no but it, the 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 kind of you know this Black Sabbath sort of heavier sound. It just sounds like Goat Snake is kind of heavier than Scream. It's heavy, heavier than Wool. It's heavier. Than, obviously, Earthlings is kind of the psychedelic mm-hmm. thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I really liked it. And that's kind of surprising because heavier is generally not my thing. I'm more kind of poppy, mm-hmm. you know? Right, right. Well, I mean, it's definitely, a, uh, you know, r&b bluesy kind of heaviness you know um and once again you know going back to what i said about the 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 change from scream to wool is you apply the same thing to goat snake a different group of players i was lucky enough to get to play with and and write and tour with um but slowed way the fuck down yep so which creates all this space and ambiance that um makes it fun and, and challenging to sing to so um it, and you know uh it's funny because um you know i guess that with the the, the poppiness that you were talking about that you did heard in wool you know i kind of maybe you know that style sing with goat snake a little bit and earthlings too so which which it was a good mel because those guys were coming from a different place like i said the the roots of that band were in this band, The Obsessed, which was a metal band from D.C. And then uh, Greg Anderson, the guitar player, um, is from Seattle, a band called Engine Kid, and also was in a band called Thor's Hammer. Um, it's a really heavy band. So the, the mixing of the those guys, the drummer for, for Ghost Snake, Greg Rogers, who's been consistent. We've gone through a bunch of different bass players. Um but even the, like I said, even the bass, the original bass player in, in Goat Snake was kind of related. You know, I'd met through Scream, and he'd actually played in Scream in Europe. He's a European guy from from, from France and Amsterdam, Guy Pinas. Um, but yeah, um, and the other thing about Goat Snake that is recorded really well, um, and we some of the first albums that you know were Scream. Definitely our records recorded rather quickly because we're on a budget. Um, we were lucky enough um, with uh, Goat Snake to record with this guy named Matthias Schneeberger, who's um, obviously you can tell he's German. 
he helped us kind of get going really great musician great producer really instrumental in helping us record for free or for nothing and and, and helped us develop our sound but then we met nick, nick rascalenix and um I'm trying to think if met Nick before he, I, I'm pretty sure, I'm not sure if he'd met Dave yet. Um, Dave Grohl, I mean, uh, because he ended up recording several Foo Fighter records and I, I know he was nominated for a Grammy with them a couple times. Um, might've been before he met Dave, but because the first time I met Nick was with Goat Snake and he had only, yeah, I think he'd only done danzig at that point and um i used to go record in his apartment in hollywood in the vocal booth with his closet <laughs> but um he's you know he helped us uh develop our sound like like schneeby did and then uh we did one record with him flower of disease which we did at this studio oh, it just went it just went belly up a couple of years ago unfortunately Really cool place. The Foo Fighters did color and the shape there too. Uh, it's escaping me right now, but um, yeah, those producers were, were were helpful in developing the sound and Goat Snake. And the last record we did, Black Age Blues, we did at Nick's Nick's studio called Rock Falcon in Nashville, and that's the, I mean, we got to spend a lot of time writing and recording that record. So it's a really well realized um, full album. So then that's kind of how Nick met Dave and then they ended up having a lot of success together. Was, um, I think Nick was, was assistant engineer at, at sound city. And I think Dave was doing some food fighter stuff there. And Nick was just an assistant there. Um, and then they met up and I think they, they, I think Nick talked about wool and they, and then Dave connected with him on that. And then he ended up, Recording several records with those guys. Oh, that's really cool. The uh, yeah. me and uh, me and you and the uh, Dave Grohl setup camp. You know, you set him up with Nick. I set him up with Jewel. You know, there you go. That's our thing, man. <laughs> yeah. So, so what's next for you? What's what's kind of the project going forward? You touring anytime soon? Um, hoping to do uh, you know, another a scream album. It, we kind of we have a an idea a dream would be to go back home to DC and record a record at the studio that we recorded our first records with. And in fact, the first studio we recorded our first album was actually on the same street. My brother and I grew up on. Oh, nice. On Ivy, yeah. On Ivy street in South Arlington, Virginia, not far, just, just down Columbia Pike, um, from Bailey's crossroads. Um, I don't know if you're if you're familiar with Columbia Pike, but it runs right to the uh, Memorial Bridge, basically right past the Pentagon, right past the Toddle House, where uh, and Bob and Edith's diner, where Sonny Jurgensen and Bill Kilmer used to hang out. <laughs> both the, both those places. Bring it, bring it back to the Redskins. There you go. Yeah, I love that's it. Right. <laughs> well, the if for some reason the studio is booked. Chase, the owner of Audio Realm uh, Studio here in Richmond, Texas, is not in the studio right now. Most of the time he's mm -hmm. around here. So Andy and I will say that if you come record in Richmond, all the studio time is free. 
Y'all can all come, I'll, I'll put you guys up so your boarding's free. We'll feed you from free. I've got the best wine collection on the world. In the world, we're happy to host the Scream recording if you guys want to come to oh, Texas and man. do it. I'm just saying. Well, thank you. I'm just saying. <laughs> that sounds real appealing. And one last thing I want to do, because you've been yeah. so kind with your time, and I'm kind of putting you on the spot. If I wasn't a dickhead, I should have texted you that I was going to ask this question, but I'll go ahead and just throw you on the spot. Um, sure. One of the things I've been doing with the podcast is I make my guests put together a playlist and we wind up for about the last 10 minutes of each pod talking about a playlist and what the music means to them. And you and I've been talking music the, the whole time. So I'll mm-hmm. kind of put you on the spot. If there were two or three songs that you had to point to that changed your life, meant something to you, whatever, what, what two or three songs are you going to throw out? Wow. Easy one would be Gloria by them. Okay. That was one of the songs that my dad's band used to cover. So, and um, number two, are you familiar with that song? I'm sure. I'm I am not. What? I'm I'm like I'm like going to Apple Music as we speak. How do I not uh, know? Well, it? you have to get the whole catalog of them. That, that was the band that Van Morrison was in. It was his first band, or probably not his first band, but... Um, it's on my to-do yeah. list now. Yeah, and um, second would be Bad Brains, Pay to Come. Um, like I was, you know, already kind of told you right. how much the Bad Brains meant to me. And um, the energy in that song... There's several different versions of it. I would try to try to. Is this Gloria right now? Yeah, man. There we go. That that definitely would have started me on my way. Oh, I've heard this song. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I've heard that song. No, that's a good one. Yeah. And then, I guess the third song. It's one of the most beautiful songs I love to put on. I just want to kind of veg out would be a song called Timeless by John Abercrombie. I've never heard, really, I've never heard of that really, one. Really beautiful song. Check it out. He was amazing. Is he still alive? I wonder. Um, but he had a really killer band with Jack DeJanet on drums and Bill Holland on bass, I think, on that song. And I highly recommend it. But those three. And what was the name of John Abercrombie's song again? Timeless. Timeless. All right. I'm, make, I'm making sure I uh, I uh, listen to that. Well, dude, this was too cool of you to do this, man. I've just been sitting here hero worshiping the whole time, so I hope I haven't come off as too much of a dork. No, not at all. It's been <laughs> fun. It's been fun. Well, awesome. What's going what's, what's to happen this year with your Cowboys? So my Cowboys um, are going to – patch up the defense with some real high-quality, low-cost free agent signing and an amazing draft because the person that runs the draft for the Cowboys is Will McClay, who actually I went to college with at Rice. Uh, We knew him as Willie, but uh, Willie McClay played cornerback for the Rice Owls, and he's literally been in the Cowboy organization almost his whole career. He coached their arena football team. He's just very close with the uh, 
with the Jones. So he's going to draft an amazing draft cat class. We're going to go 13 and three and win the Super Bowl. So what 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 happens to the football team in Washington? Well, I think they got to figure out their quarterback situation. I don't. Um, but they got Tyler Haneke. Is that his name? And I think they let go of Alex Smith. Um, I'm pretty feeling pretty good with Ron Rivera as, as head coach. I feel he's making the right moves. Defense was really coming together last year. I like that they got some local boys. That guy, uh, what's his name? Chase. What's his name? Chase Smith or, um, I think he's from PG County. Um, they got, I know that also that unfortunately they let that quarterback go Haskins. He was from a local boy too, but, um, yeah, I don't know what to, I, you know, I don't follow him as much as I used to out here, but, uh, you know, I'm optimistic that we'll, they'll get in the playoffs. And, uh, you and I may totally disagree on teams and we may fight, because uh, mm-hmm. I know we always run smack during the games, but I think we could agree that if you and I could put Jerry Jones and Daniel Schneider on a rocket to the moon, we'd both agree to do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I had real hopes when he had when 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 they got George Allen's son as general manager. I thought, oh, that's kind of cool, but that 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 didn't work out. I mean, you know, as all this crap that's gone down these last couple of years, I've, if you're a Redskin fan, you heard stories. It, there have been stories circulating for a long time about some weird shit involving, you know, just bad behavior, alcohol, and um, which actually was maybe it's just kind of in our lineage because I mean, you know, back in the day, with Jurgensen and Kilmer were famous for getting drunk and getting busted on at the, at the Tottle House, or John Riggins always had beer you know set up in the at redskin park somewhere for after the game after practice they used to have a lot of drinking sessions but and there's that famous i think john riggins passed out at a at some event some one time that was kind of a scandal but um yeah it kind of it i'd be happy to put him on a rocket to russia yeah the ramones playing in, in the background um but I don't know. See what happens. I, I've, I've I've heard some rumors that Jeff Bezos is trying to buy a portion of the team. So I don't know what his deal is. He already owns the Washington Post, and now he's trying to get the football team. But I mean, if Jerry Jones, if Jerry Jones wouldn't have made all that money from this this last uh, that horrible storm that brought brought down your grid, he he raked it in i guess that gave him enough money to to pay dak that 160 million dollars huh <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> you know another another reason why i hate texas sports teams is <laughs> 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 because when i was a kid y'all stole my my, my baseball team that's the Washington right senators ended up being the texas rangers and that was that was heart-wrenching i mean i was just like I was probably 13. I used to listen to the Senators on my AM radio religiously. I could tell you the lineup from 1972, whatever. But um, and Bob Short sold us out. Y'all came to Rangers. And that's really why the Redskins became such a big – why D.C. is such a big football town because we lost our baseball team 
And even and the Redskins had kind of always sucked. And then shortly afterward, we got George Allen, and then we had some success, and we didn't have a baseball team. So the Redskins took it. Washington Football Club, that is, took over. So hold on just a second. This is like a big deal right now because we've you know we've bonded over music, we've we've mm-hmm. agreed to disagree on football. But I will tell you this too: I hate the Texas Rangers and those guys for stealing your team too because ultimately the Texas Rangers stole Nolan Ryan away from the Houston Astros. Ah. And yeah, so I mean that just broke everybody in Houston's heart, right? Because no one, Ryan... yeah. But now, but now, but now, Chuck, I'm a Dodger fan. Let's just, <laughs> let's just, let's just end this conversation I'll... now before. Going... Nah, there you <laughs> go, dude. You were so cool to do this. All seriousness, man, this was awesome. My pleasure.